Jesus came to save a diverse people. And through his blood and the indwelling of the Spirit, we are now invited to live as a harmonious, unified family. This series will help you step into the life, teaching, and empowering presence of Jesus so you can follow him in your home, with your finances, and in your vocation. Now let's hear the word of the Lord. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you. Uh, Thanks for being with us on the internet. Thanks for being here in person. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thanks again for being with us. Uh, In in my opinion, I won't ruffle any feathers this morning. Uh, I'm 38 years old, and in my 38 years, one of the things I've come to learn about Christians is most of us really don't know how to party. Uh, We don't know how to throw a party. We don't know how to go to a party. We don't know how to have fun at a party. Uh, Sometime in the last few decades, the word party uh, has come either to mean like a kid's birthday party or more kind of like college-age drunkenness, wildness, craziness. Uh, So in the church world, there's a big part of us that associates the word party with something bad. I remember when I went to college, there were several large college ministries on the campus. I went to a state school in Ohio, so it was a relatively large school. And uh, I remember watching Christians try to throw parties, and it was so embarrassing that I just couldn't really go to them anymore. Because basically what the Christians would do is they would look to whatever the fraternities were doing or whatever the popular crowds were doing, and then they would just try to do a Christian version of that. And so y'all know what I'm saying? Everybody saw that? And so the fraternities would have keg stands, and I'm sorry, y'all, but some of you are going to have to explain things, you know, if you grew up with sheltered children or something. Keg stand, I don't understand the fun of it, but people hold you up and you hold onto a keg and you drink upside down. That's what a keg stand is. And obviously that nothing good happens from that. No one makes a really great decision after doing a keg stand. And so what Christians at my college would do is they would have root beer keg stands, (laughs) 
You see? Because it's just like that, but without the alcohol or whatever. Um, Beer pong was another game. It's a game of skill and chance that gets harder because if you don't win, you have to drink and, you know, it gets silly and then people do dumb things. And so the Christians, of course, we can't drink alcohol, so we would have Mountain Dew pong instead of, you know what I'm, you guys ever experienced those kinds of things. Let's do what everybody else is doing, but let's slap some kind of Christian bumper sticker on it to make it seem like it's okay. You get the idea. Think about for the adults in the room, think about some of the parties that you've been to as an adult. Um, if you're married, I almost guarantee you've had this conversation where you're driving to the party, and especially if it's not your friend who's throwing the party, it's your spouse's friend, you'll have the conversation of how long do we have to stay at the party before we're allowed to come home. And you want to find the precise amount of time that you can stay long enough so people know that you were seen and that you showed up, but still leave yourself enough time to go home and watch Netflix like you really want to do. And so you endure the Sam's Club veggie trays or whatever these things, the finger foods that we put out. Maybe it gets really crazy and someone suggests we play a game of Uno or Settlers of Catan. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, uh, but, you know, not necessarily the most exciting party. Most of us, simply put, don't know how to party. And if you ever show up at a good party, you might be really, really uncomfortable. Uh, if you're willing to read the Bible, you'll find a much different image than what most of us have come to experience when we think of parties in the church. Uh, I think it would be fair to call God the Lord of the party or the God of the party. Parties were God's idea. Uh, if you get to Leviticus, you got like 22 chapters to get through that can be pretty boring. Boring is not the right word difficult to read. Not many people are like, I'm just feeling dry devotionally. I'm going to go read Leviticus. It's all of these rules about how God designed life to be run. And it can be a little bit dry. And then you get to chapter 23. Does anybody know what chapter 23 starts with? What, uh, what aspect of our life God is giving us rules about? Any guesses? Parties? No, he doesn't give us rules about parties. Uh, he gives us rules about time. How should you spend your time? How should you measure your time? It's a, basically a calendar. And now here's where the softball comes. Do you know what God uses, what he tells his people to use to mark the time throughout the weeks and the years and the decades? What are the milestones that we mark our time by in the church? Parties, feasts. He says, party about this and party about this and party about this. The people of God in the Old Testament, their whole calendar was built around parties. And these were like cattle clearing parties. These were vineyard shutting down parties. These were weeks on end, what are the neighbors up to kinds of parties. These were multi-day extravagant events that few of us have any concept of what that would look like. So Jesus is his father's son. Like his father, he loves parties. Uh, and he knew how to party. His first miracle was keeping a party going. You ever sat with that for a little bit? Jesus could have said, you know what, not right now. We're just going to let this party shut down. But instead, his first miracle is to keep a party rolling. And here in Matthew 22, I think if you read the Bible just open to this idea, you'll see over and over that God is looking for almost any excuse to fire up the barbecue, invite the neighbors over. I mean, he is always looking for an excuse to party. And where we get to here in Matthew 22, Jesus is talking about something incredibly difficult, judgment. But he does so using the imagery, the, the parable of a party. 
So in verse 2, he says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. So first of all, someone is thinking, wondering, what's heaven like? And Jesus says, well, imagine a huge party, a wedding feast. The great king is throwing a feast for his son. So if you want to get ready for heaven, if you want to rehearse and start getting comfortable with the idea of the kingdom of God, learning how to party would be a great place to start. A great king prepares a feast for his son. It's a wedding feast. This is a once-in-a-lifetime party. It would have required significant preparation, the proper clothing, the right food, uh, not to mention these kinds of royal feasts lasted for days. So an initial message goes out, hey, y'all, a party is coming. The royal king is throwing a feast for his son. You're going to have to take two weeks of vacation. Here's the clothes you're going to need. We got to get the butchers ready. We got to get the vine or the vineyards ready. It, it was a huge affair, and it took lots and lots of preparation. It's a story. If you notice, while Libby was reading it, the king is the only one who speaks in this parable. And so what's that saying is this is primarily about the king and his love for his son. And I guess secondarily, the ensuing feast. But the image we have to get out of our mind as we come to this is the idea of like a small church potluck. Or, you know, even here when we did our chili cook-off back in the day, when we used to be able to have hundreds and hundreds of people in the room together. And I'll tell you, this is not in the notes. This is just a side note. I would not recommend tasting 40 different kinds of chili. Uh, we used to run a chili competition and the pastors would taste all the chili. I don't recommend that. And that's fun, but that is not the image that you have here of going to a palace in your best clothes with the best food that would take months and months and months to prepare. This is the great king's wedding feast for his beloved son. So the initial invitation goes out, get ready, prepare, carve out the time. And after this time of preparation, a second invitation goes out that says, now is the time. So what we see in verse three, when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So Jesus is talking, we've referred to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and throughout this series on family values, what are the core values of the Christian life, the family of God. We've referred to the, the Pharisees and Sadducees as the serious and sophisticated. I think that gets to kind of the heart of who they are. They're the religious elites. They are the uptight. And so Jesus is telling them this story. The Old Testament was the initial invite. It was the time of preparation that the serious and the sophisticated should have been ready for. They should have prepared for. Think about what this says about the heart of the king. I know you've rebelled. I know you've turned away. I know you've failed. I know you haven't trusted, but I'm throwing a party and you're still invited. The people in the story, just like the serious and sophisticated, refused to come. Verses five through six says, the guests he invited ignored them, thus the servants, and they went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. Messengers get sent out and they say, get ready, get your clothes on, get, fuel up the car, the part, it's party time, this weekend, it's coming. And instead, everyone's like, you know what, I, I've got some work to do, I got to run payroll, I got, I got to work on the farm. Others insulted the messengers, others killed the messengers. Again, to the serious and sophisticated, the religious elites, Jesus is saying, this is what you have done to me. This is what you have done to all of God's messengers over the years, even though he's a repeat inviter, even though he keeps saying, come to the party. And now that Jesus has come and said the party is ready, they're saying we're too busy. They're saying we've got other things to do. 
We get the first taste of a God of judgment in the story next. Verse 7 says the king was furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. It's in this story, and it's in the story of the whole Bible, that God is a repeat inviter. You know how many times the king invited? You know how many times he sent out an invitation, and then he sent out messengers again and again to invite, to invite? Our king, the repeat inviter, faces repeat rejection. And the repeated rejection shows how unwilling the wedding guests truly are. He invites, he invites again, he speaks of the greatness of the feast, and rejection upon rejection is how he is responded to. The God of the Bible is a God of invitation, continually inviting a rebellious people. Anybody know the first question God asks Adam and Eve after they've rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden? Anybody remember? Where are you? Somebody whispered it. Where are you? That's a question of invitation. You notice God doesn't say, how dare you? How could you? And do you think God was unaware of where they were as Adam and Eve were hiding behind a bush? Where are you? The God of the Bible seeks those who run away. He woos them with the promise of abundant life and a rich feast. And Jesus is reminding these repeat rejectors, though, that despite the God of invitation we see in the Bible. He's also a God of judgment. And at some point, their repeated rejections will catch up with them. They will stop facing the God of invitation and instead will experience the God of judgment. Now, what's so curious to me, curious isn't the right word, it tickles me, but it's weird to feel tickled in the midst of a sermon on judgment. Um, What tickles me is God doesn't want to waste the party. He's so mad at all of these people, all the fancy, well-to-do people that are turning down his party. But he's like, but we got all this meat and we got all this wine. Might as well throw a party anyway. So he says in verse 8, the wedding feast is ready. The guests I invited are worthy of the honor. Who gets invited to a party at a royal wedding feast? Who gets invited to Thanksgiving at Denzel Washington's house? Right? Like, not me, not you, famous people. Influential people. But look, I don't know what to say. The king is down to party. All the influential people said no. And so look what he does. Go out on the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet was filled with guests. See the desires of the king in this parable. He wants to honor and celebrate the son he loves. It's his son's wedding. Second, He wants to throw a huge party with the best food and the best drink and the best music. And third, he wants the party to be filled with guests. He's so committed to honoring his son and having this party that he throws the door open to whoever wants to come, good people and bad people, important people, overlooked people. Everyone can come in. Something it's maybe a, bit, a little bit easy to miss, but three times in this story, uh, we're told the party is ready. It, it's almost like a little kick drum underneath it. It's ready, it's ready, it's ready. The, the first set of guests had good reasons not to come, or at least understandable reasons. I got a job, I got a farm. But they're missing the urgency of the invitation. The party is ready, the party is ready, the party is ready. It's right now ready. 
And what made them unworthy of the party? What made them the kind of people that the king could look at after the fact and say, these people weren't worthy for the party? Notice he doesn't say, they don't make enough money. Or look at how immoral they are. Or look at how bad their theology is. No. What made them unworthy to come was their unwillingness to receive the invitation. What made them unworthy to come was their resistance to the invitation of the king. We learned this back in Matthew 10. Jesus was talking to his disciples. This kind of worthiness has to do with receptivity. Are you receptive to the king's right now invitation? Are you receptive to his right now invitation? Do you feel the urgent love of your king who keeps saying, the party is ready, the party is ready, the party is ready. Do you want to come? Will you come? Will you come? The party is ready. If you knew the goodness of the invitation, you would not delay. If you knew the goodness of the party, you would not delay, despite the understandable reasons you may have. So for many, there is a word of judgment here, a word of judgment to those who delay the king's invitation. Do not let good things get in the way of the great wedding feast of the Lamb. Do not let good things get in the way of the greatest thing. And there's also a word of judgment to those who want to scoff at those who are not willing to come. More specifically here, Matthew is reminding disciples of Jesus to be careful in how we judge the people of Israel. Be careful how we critique those who have not been receptive to the Lord's invitation. Verse 11 and 13, it says, when the king came to meet the guests, so these are the bad people. These are the people who were the second round of invites. He noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Another way to think about this second part of the story here is that there is someone who wants to party, but who doesn't love the king or his son. He, he wants the benefits of the wedding feast, but doesn't want to serve the king or celebrate his son. I think it's fair to think of the journey of the Christian life as preparation for a party. And on the course of that journey, progress is made by growing in love for our king. The Christian life is not over when you proclaim Jesus is Lord. We don't say Jesus is Lord and then just wait to die. How are we to understand what the wedding garment is here? How are we to understand what being prepared and properly clothed for heaven looks like? Well, the New Testament offers two complementary teachings on this, on what a wedding garment is, on what being clothed in righteousness is. And there's two different, complementary but different uh, aspects of the teaching. One is what we would call a passive righteousness, and one is an active righteousness. Or you could think of imputed righteousness versus an active righteousness. The passive garment is the one that is provided for us. Think of it like the wedding invitation. It is a garment of grace. This is what Paul often refers to when he talks about being clothed in righteousness. This is the doctrine of imputed righteousness. You are invited to the wedding as a gift of God's grace. So we read about this in Romans 3. God has shown us a way to be made right with him, listen, without keeping the requirements of the law. 
as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. It is the king who invites you to the wedding. What makes you worthy to come to the wedding? The invitation of the king. It is grace. There will be judgment for those who refuse the king's invitation of love. All that is required of you to come to the feast is to receive the invitation. All that is required is to desire a seat at the table. The Lord has provided it all. This is the scripture's teaching on the passive wedding garment, imputed righteousness. But there's also an active wedding garment. We are invited by grace and we prepare by faith. We prepare by actively following the will of God by cultivating moral righteousness, repenting of our old way of life and putting on a new way. Later in Romans, Paul will talk about this. He says, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. Because we long to, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So what the second half of this parable is teaching us is that you are saved by grace and then you pursue Christian holiness by faith. You receive passive righteousness, and then you cultivate active righteousness. You pursue Jesus. Here's, I'll throw, y'all want two more big words? So, yeah, two more big words? Okay. Just for you, Brittany, because we're running way ahead of on time. We're, we're way ahead of schedule. That's the death. That's uh, the kiss of death for the preacher. It's like, oh, we're ahead of schedule. I'm going to go another 35 minutes. Um, okay, monergism is a word, or we believe in a monergistic salvation. Mono is a word that means one, and it comes from ergo, which means to work. So salvation is a monergistic work, which means God alone saves us. It is the work of God that saves us. Sanctification, that's, that's the process of becoming like Jesus. That's the process of being transformed. Sanctification is a synergistic work. Sin meaning together. That's S-Y-N for my Greek scholars, not sinning like y'all out there sinning. Uh, so sin, S-Y-N, plus ergo, meaning to work, work together. Some of you like Synergos Coffee. That's where they get this name from. Synergistic salvation, sanctification is a synergistic work, which means in participation with the Holy Spirit, we work out our faith with fear and trembling. Look at the, the words that Paul used back there in Romans 13. Take this clothing off. Stop doing these things and, and start doing those things. You come to the party by grace and you stay in the party by faith, clothing yourself in the righteousness of Christ. So the big questions for us to ask, whether you're following Jesus or not right now, wherever you are on the spectrum, a party has been prepared and a way has been made for you. 
core question that you need to answer is, do you want to come? See, for those outside of the church, uh, maybe you've experienced this if you're like the token Christian at your workplace or in your family. People want to come and ask you questions about what do you think about this or that issue? Where do you stand on this issue or that candidate or this thing? And frankly, if they're not Christians, it doesn't matter. The, the first question you need to ask if you're not a Christian is, do you want to come to the party? Do you want to come to the wedding feast of the Lamb? Do you want to see who Jesus really is? Save all of your other questions for down the road. Because how you answer that first question changes how you answer all of the other ones. If Jesus is some moral teacher, then you're welcome to disagree with him. If you decide that he's some teacher, then who cares what he teaches about whatever topic you have strong opinions about? But if he is the Lord, if he is the maker of heaven and earth, that changes That changes everything. That changes how we listen to him. It changes how we respond to his teaching. A party has been prepared and a way has been made for you. Do you want to come? A party has been prepared for you. Do you want to be ready? Then receive the invitation of the king, which is to follow Jesus. Clothe yourself in righteousness, which means actively follow Jesus. And so, Life is very complicated. Uh, The circumstances that we're carrying in this room, let alone on the internet, are very complicated. Uh, And so I want to try something um, just a little bit different here. I don't know what you need right now. Um, And we do preachers a real disservice, and preachers do people a real disservice when we think we have the answers for everything you guys are carrying, or when you guys want the preacher to have the answers for everything you're carrying. I don't know what this means for you. I wish we could say, and... We're going to have a huge party right now. We're all going to learn how to party, and we're going to party with purity. And, but, you know, hashtag pandemic, right? Like, it's a weird time to have a sermon about a party, and I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, so I want you, if you're willing, I want, you, I want everybody to close your eyes right now. If you're at home, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to you. I want you to ask him, how do I need to be preparing? If you're listening to this, you don't believe in God, just waste a couple minutes with us. Ask him to speak to you and see what might happen. Take a couple of deep breaths. And I'm going to read a longer portion of scripture now. And I want you to pay attention. Ask the Lord, what are you inviting me to? And then let's let God's word speak to us and let the spirit of God lead us. If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. 
Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of life, that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad tempers, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. This is the word of the Lord. So we remember how we can do this. We remember the gift of grace and the invitation to the wedding feast that the king has extended to us by remembering the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread and thanked God for it. He broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.